This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. What is up and welcome to RSCC. It is awesome to be with you today. Today we're going to start a new series and to get into the series I want to talk a little bit about growing up. Most of you know growing up my, my family didn't go to church so if I was going to go to church I, I was going to walk, I was going to ride my bicycle, I was going to bum a ride off somebody and, and get to the building and I remember the first time someone gave me a study Bible. They must have thought that I need to you know apply some of these things in my life. So they gave me a teen study Bible and uh, I remember when I kind of started reading it. Now, when I say read it, let me, let me explain what I mean. I don't mean that I like, actually read it. I would jump to like, the famous stories of like Noah's Ark, you know, David and Goliath, Moses, you know, some of the Gospels, and, and you know, John 3.16. And I would go through it. And, and to be honest, I kind of read the Bible the wrong way. Maybe some of you are reading it this way. And uh, I would kind of read it like I would read a comic book. I would read about the main characters of David or Moses, and like I would read about Captain America and Iron Man, and I would conclude, I'm supposed to be like those guys. I'm supposed to be like David when I fight Goliath and stand on the battlefield. I'm supposed to be like Moses and, and overcome my struggles or my insecurities. I'm supposed to be like Daniel and stand up for my faith no matter what. Then I got to college, in Bible college, and I didn't know anything. I had these professors who've studied their Bible their, their entire lives, and they basically told me everything I've been doing was wrong, that the way I was reading it, the way I was looking at it was wrong. And then I started, it started to make sense that as I was reading through the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation, besides Jesus, every person that I read about, Abraham and Isaac and, and Moses and Paul and Peter, all of them were flawed. All of them were broken. All of them ha had their issues, and I wasn't necessarily supposed to be like them. I was supposed to learn from their mistakes and maybe learn from their faith. That, that what I, I'm, I'm trying to say is that they, I, I was told that they aren't the heroes of the Bible. Moses, David, none of them are the heroes of the Bible, and I'm not the hero of the Bible. Like, you know, we read a story, we try to make ourselves the hero of the Bible, but Jesus is the hero of the Bible, that everything in the Bible points to Jesus. That, that if you are honest, that if you look throughout the Bible, the Bible's about God, you know, meeting these nobodies and turning them into somebodies. He, he, it's about God meeting these people that the world would not say was much and turning them into something extraordinary. And, and what's awesome is if you read through the, the pages of the Bible, you're going to see something that, that's special. When the ordinary nobody meets the, meets the extraordinary God, extraordinary things happen. I'll say that again. When the ordinary nobody, so me and you, nobody, right, meets the extraordinary God, extraordinary things happen. And that's why I'm pumped about this series. This series is called Nobodies. And we're going to be looking, we're going to be all over the Bible. We're going to be some Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to be flipping through the pages and looking at stories that we maybe have never heard before. We're going to be looking at the, these characters that are in the Bible that, that really are like nobodies. They're the nobodies of the Bible. Nobody really talks about them. And, and we're going to see how most of their stories, in some capacity, in some way, either point to Jesus or give us a, a future kind of preview of what Jesus does for us, or they point to us how we need to correct our faith so we can follow Jesus perfectly. 
But we're also going to see that throughout this series of the next six weeks, that to Jesus, nobody is a nobody. Nobody's a nobody. Now, I know for some of us, we go through this life and there's per certain things and certain times in our life that the things happen. And we look at our lives and we feel like we're a nobody. We look at our past and we look at our, our mistakes and we look at our bank account and, and we look at our last name and the town we're from and, and we start to think, man, I, I'm a nobody. I, I'm nobody. But I want to encourage you through this series, you're going to see something that I hope changes your life and I hope, I hope it changes how you view how God can use you. That God uses all kinds of people to share his message with the world. God uses all kinds of people, all type of ordinary nobodies to do extraordinary things in the world for him. So today we're going to look at this weird story that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard. And we're going to call it, this, this is what it's going to be called. This is kind of the message of the day. The story of grace in a weird place. Because we're about to see some weird things happen. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Samuel Chapter 9, we will be in chapter 9 the entire time. So let's talk about it. What's going on in chapter 9? Well, there's a king, and the king's name is David. And this is the same David that defeated Goliath. Well, in Samuel ch chapter 9, he is at the height of his career. He is at the height of his kingdom. He is rich. He is powerful. And people love him. He is beloved by people. And, and we know because of chapter 7 that in 2 Samuel that he's actually in this season of peace. That, that he's allowing God, you know, created time of peace. And he's sitting and he's thinking about his kingdom. And he's thinking and reflecting on his life. And 2 Samuel chapter 9 starts there. And this is what Jesus, uh, David, it says that David asked. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. He, he asked this weird, this kind of weird, strange question. He's like, is there anybody left out there that, that, that is, you know, from Saul's house, Jonathan's house, that I can show kindness to? Now, typically kings would ask this during biblical times because they want to know, hey, are there any other descendants out there from the previous king? Because if there are, I want to kill him. But David is saying, no, no, no. I, I want to show kindness to Jonathan's family. Well, well who's Jonathan? Jonathan was David's best friend, but the relationship was very complicated. Jonathan's dad was the first king of Israel, King Saul, and Jonathan was his son. And King Saul started off being the first king of Israel, but eventually he did some things that left God telling him, hey Saul, I'm no longer going to bless your kingship. And then Samuel goes out and he finds David and anoints him that he's going to be the future king of Israel. And then David really comes onto the scene and gets popularity when he fights the giant Goliath. And while Saul and all his men are scared, David fights him and kills him. David goes on to be a mighty warrior. And it says that the, the crowd's saying, David kills tens of thousands of people. The crowds loved him. Well, Saul began, began to be, become jealous of this. And he basically wanted to kill David. So David had to flee from him for many years until he could become king. In one instant, Jonathan, Saul's son, saved David from his father. And they were best friends. And David says, because of your kindness and what you've done for me, I'm going to make a promise, a covenant with you, that when I become king someday, that I will show kindness to you and your family. So for whatever reason, in this moment, I don't know if it was the time of the year. I don't know if he was thinking of Jonathan. He asked this question to his servant. They used to work in Saul's house. Is there anyone left in Jonathan's family who I can show kindness to? And this is how the servant replies in the next verse. 
Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. Like, we got a lot of weird names going on today. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's, in, he's lame in both feet. The servant says, yeah, king, I, I hear you. I hear you want to show kindness. There is a living relative that's still alive, but he's not the type of guy you're going to hang out with. He's not the type of guy you want in a king's circle. He's not the type of guy that you would want to your party. He's not the type of guy that you're going to want to sit at your table. He's not the one the type of guy you're going to want in your family, in your inner courts. He's going to mess up your, your social status. He's going to mess up your swag. You aren't going to look good when you're standing next to him. Why? Well, because he's lame in both feet. So King David, yes, he's alive, but he's not, he's not the type you want. Now here's what's really interesting about the Bible. We know exactly who this son is that is lame in both feet because we know that in 2 Samuel 4, something happened. And, and here's what it says. And this, is, this gets interesting. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son. So he had a son who was lame in both feet. And here's why he was lame in both feet. Here's why he was paralyzed, right? He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, right? It's a weird name, Mephibosheth. But Jonathan's son that the servant is talking about was Mephibosheth. So Saul, Jonathan's killed and Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle. That allowed David to become king. Now in biblical times, like I said, the common practice of the new king was to find all the descendants, especially the men of the previous king, and kill them so there could be no uprising, so there would be no threat to the throne. The nurse that was taking care of Mephibosheth knew this, and she picked him up in a hurry, in a rush, and as she was picking this five-year-old baby up, something happened. She dropped him, and he became lame in both feet. He became paralyzed for the rest of his life. And Saul's servant, who was now working for David, understood this. Ziba understood this. He says, yes, David, king, there is a relative still alive, but you're not going to want to hang out with him. Why? Because he's paralyzed in both feet. And at this time, there's no wheelchairs. There's no medical doctors. But also, in this time of the world, there were medical doctors, but there wasn't modern medicine. But in this time of the world, that when you were paralyzed, they often thought it was a curse from God because of something your family did or you did, and you were seen as an outcast. No one would want to be with you. So David, yeah, he, 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 Mephibosheth is still alive, but you're not wanting him. So David, David says, this is what David says next, and I love it. He says, where is he? The king asked. Where is he? David doesn't ask how crippled he was. Doesn't say how big of a, you know, how big of an outcast is he? He says, no, no, no. I want to show kindness to the, the son of my best friend who died. Where is he? Mephibosheth, and we're going to call him Mo for the rest of the time. Mo had been, you know, kind of defined by this, by being lame in both feet, but paralyzed by his condition, labeled by his condition, yet David looks right through it. And the servant says, this is where he is. And, and he goes to the next verse. He's like, this is where he is. 
He's in the house of Makar, son of Emil, like so many messed up names, right? Crazy names. In Lodabar. So he's in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makar, son of Ami. And here's what's going on. Lodabar is this place. It's like a desert. It's isolate. It's, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's literally a place that means no bread, that nothing can grow here. And it's where outcasts would go. It's where nobodies would go. It's where someone who was looking to hide from a king who is, from, who is now king that may want to kill you would go. And this is where Mephibosheth, the paralyzed, lame man in both feet, is hiding out. So think about this. He went from grandson of a king to a nobody living in a place full of nobodies. Think about that. He is now from a grandson of a king to a place li- living with a place of nobodies. He is a nobody living in a place of nobodies. And he's lived there for many years. Now, we don't know how long. We just know he's not a kid anymore. He went from, from five years old. He went from being wealthy, a prince, had his legs. Now he is poor, has no family, can't use his legs. He's a reject. And for years and years, he's never healed. Nothing ever happens to him. He's a nobody living in a place full of nobodies. And David tells his servant, go and get him. So the servant, and I imagine the servant's like, this is so dumb. Like, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? He goes to Lodabar, and he walks up to our, our boy Mo's door, and he knocks on the door. Mephibosheth opens the door and the servant says, the king wants to see you. And at this moment, for Mo, all of the, the worries and the anxiety and the running in his mind have caught up to him. He's like, finally, this is my time to die. So the servant brings Mephibosheth back into the presence of the king. And here's what happens. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David, David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. And he continued, he says, do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father. I love that. For your sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. David says, Mephibosheth, stand up. Don't bow down. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father. And at this point, we can stop here and say, hey, the rest of the sermon's all about showing kindness to people who don't deserve it. All about our mission statement of showing people that they matter even when they feel like they don't matter. But that's not the bigger narrative going on here. There's something that, there's something to say about that. And we can spend all our time there. But there's a bigger narrative going on here. And it's from this one line. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Here's the bigger narrative going on. It's awesome. He received grace on someone else's behalf. What is about to happen to our boy Mo is he's going to receive some grace and some blessings. Not because of what he did. Not because of anything that he can, can do but because of his relationship to his father, Jonathan. He's going to receive grace on someone else's behalf. And we're going to get to what the blessings and the grace that he receives are in just a second. But I want, to, I want to draw attention to Mephibosheth's kind of response. He goes, what is your servant 
that you should notice a, de- a dead dog like me. Who says that about themselves? Mephibosheth said, I'm a nobody. I'm an outcast. I have nothing to bring to the foot of the king. I'm a dead dog. Who says that? And you got to think, his whole life, since he was five years old, he would have been an outcast. He would have been defined by his condition. He was not used to people blessing him. He was used to people staying away from him. He's He's like, who am I? And everything that he had believed in this moment when he's in the presence of the king, everything he had believed, everything that he had known, everything that he has internalized about himself and about David had been wrong. He's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, everything he's believed, everything he knows about himself and about King David, he thought David wanted to kill him. But it's wrong. David's like, I want to I bless you. I want to do something for you that you can only imagine because of your father. So he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you in three ways. The first blessing that he says, it may not seem like that big of a deal, but he goes, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to show you love. Mephibosheth, I know you feel unworthy of love. I know no one's loved you, but I'm going to, to bless you and show you kindness more than you can ever imagine. But he goes, I, I want you to realize why I'm showing you this kindness. I'm showing you love because of who you're attached to. I'm showing you love because you're attached to your father, Jonathan. Because of what someone else has done, not because of what you've done. He's like, I want to make that clear. What you're about to receive is because of the promise I made to you, made to your father, about you and your descendants. Who does that sound like? Huh? Also, the second blessing he says is, I will restore your land. AKA, I'm going to get you that moolah. I'm going to make you rich. Land at this time was wealth. And he's like, King Saul had all this land. And I'm going to give it all back to you. You're from Lodabar, a place where no one wants to be. All of a sudden, you're going to have more land in this, this country, the, the, the city, and God's chosen city than anybody else besides me. I'm going to restore your land. I'm going to bless you and make you so rich, Mephibosheth, more than you can ever imagine. And then the third one, which is my favorite, He says, I will adopt you into my family. You will eat always. You'll eat at my table always. I love that. He's like, I'm going to adopt you into my family. You're in my inner circle. You're not a cripple. You're not defined by your condition. When you sit at that seat at that table, that's going to be specially made for you because I know your condition. You're in. You're a son, and you're part of the family. So this man, who the world saw as a nobody, is now in the inner circle of the kings. He's in the inner circle of the king, the most powerful person in the world at the time. And I love how it ends in verse 13, if you jump ahead a couple verses. He says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate, always ate, at the king's table. And then just, they, they, they really wanted to hit on that he was lame. So they say, and he was lame in both feet. I love that line. He always ate at the king's table. What a twist of events. What a turn of events. Since five years old, all this stuff had happened to Mephibosheth. 
all of it. But in this instant, in one meeting, everything gets flipped upside down. Everything that he had known got flipped upside down. And he went from a nobody to somebody eating at the king's table. And we love endings like this. We love it. I love it. In America, we love the underdog. We love when God takes a nobody and makes him extraordinary. We love the idea that we as a, no, a, a nobody, an ordinary nobody, can meet extraordinary God and something extraordinary can happen. Mephibosheth was an ordinary nobody and he met an extraordinary king and something extraordinary happened. He became rich, he became loved, and he sat at the king's table always. But why this story is so important isn't because Mephibosheth became rich. Isn't because King David showed kindness. But the story is important because this story is a window to the redemption that God offers every single one of us. If, if we're talking in modern terms, this is a trailer to the movie to come. That, that movie being Jesus. That this story gives us the insight of what the whole gospel, what the entire Bible is about. The story of redemption that God is offering humanity. It's a story that proves that throughout the pages of the Bible, Jesus is the main character. You're not, I'm not. That the Bible is about Jesus. This story is a window, a preview of the redemption that God is going to offer all to all of us through his son Jesus. And I like to say it this way that the story of David and Mephibosheth is a mirror that you can look into and see yourselves. Now here's how we often get this wrong. We look into this mirror and we see ourselves as David. But that's so wrong. Because you and I we're Meph we're Mephibosheth. How? How are we that? Well, let's talk about it. One, we're all fallen and broken. Five years old, our boy Mo fell down and was paralyzed. And we may not be broken physically, but listen to what Romans says. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. We're all broken spiritually. We've all fallen and we're in this spiritual brokenness. We all are there. We're all fallen and broken. Second, just like Mephibosheth, we are pursued by a king. Mephibosheth was, was pursued. He was sought out by King David. David said, go and get him. Now we have a king who is pursuing us. He's not offering us wealth like money and land, but he's offering us so much more. Jesus is pursuing us. Jesus says, I am the savior of the world and I want to save you and I want a relationship with you. We are pursued by a king. And then the final thing, is that none of us are worthy of being at the king's table. None of us. None of us are worthy to take this seat. In the world's eyes, Mephibosheth was not worthy to sit at the table. The servant tried to tell King David that. None of us are worthy to take this seat. But we receive a seat at this table because of what Jesus did for us. And this capacity, if you will, Jesus is a better Jonathan. Jonathan was the reason that our, our boy Mo was blessed. Where Jesus is the reason that we receive a seat at this table. He's the reason. Jesus is the reason that we can have a relationship with God. He's a better Jonathan. We receive a seat, not because of what I've done, 
Not because of what I can do, not because of what you've done, not because of what you can do. We receive this seat because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And just like David blessed Mephibosheth with three things, Jesus blesses us with three things as well. The first is he calls us out of Ladabar. He calls us out Ladabar. Ladabar, remember, was the place where Mephibosheth was hiding out and just waiting, right? And right now, some of us are in Ladabar spiritually or mentally. And we're just hanging out there and we're missing what, what Jesus has for us. We're missing what, what Jesus is trying to offer us and do to us. Just like Mephibosheth, he was missing what David wanted to do to Jonathan's family because he was hiding. So right now, some of us, we're out in Leda Bar, missing out on what Jesus is trying to do in us and through us. We're just hanging out there, loaded bar. Mentally, spiritually, we're just hanging out in the place we're not supposed to be. And, and we're just hanging out in this land where no one can find us. And as I was thinking about this this week, I remember growing up, and, and I grew up in this weird time. I was born in, in 90, so I'm a 90s baby. I'm proud of it. But growing up as a preteen, uh, we, you know, in the late 90s, 98, 99, the early 2000s, we had internet, but it was dial-up, right? That little, that weird, you couldn't use the internet and phone at the same time. We had cell phones, but before we had cell phones, we had beepers. And then our cell phones, like, you had to pay for every text. We had video games, but they weren't massive like they are now. So what does that mean? That meant we spent a lot of times, me and my friends, I, I grew up in a small town like Rising Sun. As a kid, sometimes there's not much to do in a small town on, on a Friday night. So we would hang out together. We would play outside. And we created this game. We were real creative. We created this game that we called Night Tag. Real creative name. And here's how it went. Friday night, when it got dark, we would all go to a buddy's house. And there'd be about 15 or 20 of us. And we'd play this game, Night Tag. We would split up in two teams. We had the, the, the home base, which was the garage. And then we, that was the team that was it. They would, they would hang out there. And then you would have 10 minutes or so to go hide in night. And, and you would hide. And we would run through people's yards we didn't know. We would hide under cars. We would hide in trees. But, I, you know, so I, I found this spot where I could hide over and over again. And no one would find me. And where it was, was we, we had the home base, but right behind the garage, the, the base, there was another garage. And there was a tree. And, and there, it was like, because of the lighting, it, you couldn't see behind the tree. So I, I would hide behind the tree, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for 15, sometimes for a half hour. And I would sit and I would wait for the opportunity to get into the, the garage because every person that made it into the garage that was not tagged got a point. And at the end of the night, whoever's team had the most points won. So I would wait to receive the reward, which was the point. But to receive that reward, to get the point for my team, that was, that was life or death at that time. That's what mattered most that night. I had to leave my hiding spot. I had to leave my loaded bar. For some of you, for some of me at times, to get what Jesus is trying to truly offer us, we got to leave low to bar. And maybe right now you are in low, low to bar and you're missing out on that reward that Jesus wants to offer you. And maybe you're thinking, like, you, you just at this point, like Mephibosheth was. He's like, I'm out here and if David finds me, he's going to kill me. I'm out here and if David finds me, my life is over. But he would never receive his blessings if he didn't leave Lodabar. Maybe right now you're thinking, man, I have messed up too much. I, I, I'm so far outside of anything that God can do in me. Maybe I'm so far outside of, of God's grace. 
that there's no way he can love me. No way that he can accept me. No way that he'll forgive me. All he wants to do is like what Mephibosheth thought. He wants to criticize me. He wants to rebuke me. He wants to tell me how awful I am. And I want to tell you, I don't care what anybody's ever told you in your life before. That's just not the case. That God's desire for you is to bless you and to bring you hope and to bring you a future. God's desire is to bless you. Now, it may not be the way that Mephibosheth was blessed, but he wants to bless you. And he, wanna, he wants to bring you hope. And he wants to bring you a future that has changed. So first thing that Jesus does is he calls us out of lay the bar into a relationship with him where we can be blessed and be given hope. The second thing he does is he gives us a new identity. He makes us his children. David offered Mephibosheth a new identity. Not as a cripple, but as a son, a, a, as an inner person. And listen to what, what Romans says. It, it says this. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, so if you're confessing and you believe in what Jesus has done, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified means made right in the presence of God. And it is with your mouth that you have professed your faith and are saved. What it's saying is when you confess that Jesus is Lord, you, you believe in the work of the cross. You are justified because of what Jesus has done. You are made right in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, you have a new identity. You're not your, your mistakes. You're not your past. And, and you have a new identity. And it's not because of your wealth. It's not because of an achievement. It's because of, of the covenant God made to send his son Jesus to die for us. We are, receiving some, we are receiving grace and blessings on someone else's behalf. That, that someone is Jesus. The third thing, again, this is so awesome. Because of the king, Jesus, we are invited to the table. I love the line, Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table. That meant when, he, when him, th this man who could not walk, went to the table, when people looked at him, the table covered it, his, his disability. His table covered how the world had seen him. And he was given this brand new identity and saw, seen differently. And it, it's just like the work of the cross. Because of the cross, we're covered, our mistakes, our messes, our, our, the things that, that make us feel like we're, we're unworthy are covered because of the work of, of Jesus. And I love what Paul said, and he says this in Colossians, he says, For he has rescued us, Jesus, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's saying, because of what Jesus has done, you're given a seat at the table. Maybe you walked in here like Mephibosheth today. You may think that you're broken, that you're useless, and a nobody. But Jesus says you're chosen and you're invited to the table. You may think you're broken, a nobody. But Jesus says you are chosen and invited to the table. So let's kind of go over what happened. Let's kind of sum this up in one line today. When Mephibosheth approached David, he was broken, he was rejected, and was a nobody. He was living in Ladobar. That, that is who he was. And after he met with David, 
He was redeemed. He was restored and given an everlasting hope. When we take our lives before God, we are broken and we are rejected and we're nobody. But after but through what Jesus has done, we meet God, we're redeemed, we're restored, and we're giving an everlasting hope. In just a few moments, after I'm done with preaching and we sing a song and I'm done praying, we're going to come to a time called communion. Communion is a symbolic time that we come to the table, come to the Lord's table, and we remember what Jesus has done for us. And as we take communion, we do it every week here, sometimes we go through the the motions of it. But today, I I want you to imagine you're at the table with Mephibosheth, David's table, and and you take a seat. And as you take a seat, you see these big, strong, burly-looking men walk in. And they're David's men. There's David's SWAT team. We're going to talk about them next week. They're amazing. And they walk in. And then you see this good-looking young guy walk in. It's David's son, and behind him is David's daughter. And then you kind of hear this like thumping noise, and it's like, what's going on? And it's Mephibosheth. He doesn't look like anybody else, but he's coming to the table. And he takes a seat. And then David sits down, and he's like, hey, let's eat. And you realize something, that this table is different. It's the table of grace. And at this table where you're seated, or are invited to sit at. You don't have to achieve something. You don't have to prove something. You just gotta accept God's grace through Jesus. And you're invited to take this seat. When you take this seat, you're gonna see Moses, the stutterer. You're gonna see Isaac, the man who who wrestled with, with God and walked with a limp. You're gonna see Paul, the murderer. You're going to see Peter, who the early church was really built on, but you're going to see he also denied Jesus three times. And then there's going to be a spot for you. And you're welcome in that spot. But just understand, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But there's a seat for you, just like there's a seat for Meshavitheth. That seat is offered to you through what Jesus has done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. That seat is for you. Yes, even you. The one who feels like you're too far gone. The one who feels unworthy. The one who feels defined by their past. That seat is for you. And today we want to give you an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to have a conversation with us. If you're listening on podcasts or video, email us, nathan.rsec at gmail.com, to how you can fill this seat, how you can accept what Jesus is offering. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you offer us a seat at the table that we're undeserving to receive. God, it's because of Jesus, it's on Jesus' behalf that you offer us this. So we thank you for Jesus and everything he's done for us. God, it's in your great and precious name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. 
Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.